about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Our second Bible reading is from 2 Timothy, chapter 3, and you can find that on page 1,179. Starting at verse 10. Okay, 2 Timothy, chapter 3, starting at verse 10. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, What kind of things happened to me in Antinoch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who would judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work, on ev- the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. As we've heard from Megan already, Tyndale was a fantastic man of God. In 1522, he held in his hands for the very first time a copy of the Bible in German. Martin Luther had just printed it. He'd sent it out through Germany through some illegal printing presses. And for the first time, William saw this, and his life's work started to grab at his heart. For the next four years, he translated the New Testament from the Greek into English for the very first time. People had done it in the past from the Latin. People had done it stitching it together from all different places. But William Tyndale did it first in a way with such beauty, simplicity, care, and eloquence that it has had an untold effect on the Bible through the Western world and on the English language itself. Scholars think that William Tyndale has had more influence on the English language than Shakespeare, partially because Shakespeare quoted Tyndale. But I don't think even you know how much William Tyndale has influenced your life. 
I guarantee you, if you can think of a favorite passage from the New Testament, I reckon Tyndale wrote it. Let me give you some examples of things that he brought into the English language for the very first time with some pictures to help us along. How about fight the good fight? Tyndale. Seek and you will find. Tyndale. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Tyndale. Let not your hearts be troubled, which apparently is a hashtag. Never seen it before. Tyndale. Get that one in today. Well, how about this? Well, this is a bit wrong, but the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This guy decided if he changed is to was, he could put his name underneath it. So, you know, there you go. Uh, it's Jesus via Tyndale. In fact, when the KJV was written in the next century, they kept 80% of what Tyndale had made because it was so stunning, simple, and beautiful. People just can't beat what he did. And it has shaped the way we understand God and his word and it has shaped the way we use the English language. Tyndale has given you a gift. And what I want to do today is quite simple. I want to have a look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and a little bit of 4 and have a think about what that gift is, how we open it, and why sometimes we tend to return it. The gift, how we open it, and why we return it. Have, open up 2 Timothy 3. We're going to start a bit further in at verse 14. Now, to understand Tyndale's gift, you have to understand something very important. I know I've just told you how when you read the Bible in English, you can't help but hear Tyndale's voice, his poetry, his skill at translation. But when we open the Bible, we never just hear human voices. It's not just Moses' voice, although it is. It's not just King David's Psalms, although it is. It's not just Matthew or Luke or Paul constructing sentences and things. What 2 Timothy tells us, what Paul tells young Timothy as he sends him off into ministry, as he faces the death sentence, is that when you hear Scripture, you hear the voice of God. What Tyndale's gift is to us is to hear the voice of God in our mother tongue. What Paul says to Timothy in verse 14 is to continue or to remain in what he has learned. In verse 15, that's named as the Holy Scriptures. And then Paul gives a few reasons why the Scriptures are to be remained with. And in verse 16, one really pops out, doesn't it? All Scripture is God-breathed. All scripture, though it comes through human artistry, though it comes from human logic, though it comes out of so many thousands of years of human authors, yet it is breathed out by God. Its origin has never been within man, but within God. It's from his heart, from his mind. Calvin, another reformer, says, because of this reality, do you know what we owe to scripture? The same reverence that we owe to God. 
since it has its only source in him and has nothing of human origin mixed within it. Paul says that all Scripture, the whole Old Testament as it hangs together, the the story weaved over so many years, actually has as an author the Holy Spirit of God moving in men and women over the ages. It is a gift not from man but from God. And because of that, it has a weight and significance and gravity And a reverence is owed to it that no other human work can have. But you might be hearing this today and thinking, well, if Scripture is God-breathed, then we might have a problem. Because there's a whole stack of things in here that if they're from the mouth of God and not just from a man, then I don't know if I want to be on board with a God like that. And it's true, there are, there are parts of Scripture that jar with us, that crash against our sense of self, that, that shipwreck against our culture. What do we do with that? The reality of Scripture being God-breathed doesn't mean that we have to work very hard to understand it. Nor does it mean that we can't bypass its context when it was written in the first place. But even doing those things, there are simply going to be things in Scripture that we can't make sense of in our own cultural age. And I think that that, rather than being a problem, is actually a positive. Because if you're reading a book, and it says everything you've ever, ever thought before, and it cuts against nothing in you, then every chance it has come from a mind like yours. But if you can write a book that when every culture takes in its hands, it it, it finds something to hate and something to love, and it's different at every century, in every culture, in every place, all of a sudden you realize you're not reading a human book, but you're listening instead to the voice of the living God, a voice that comes from outside of history, speaking inside it, and is not tamed and is not affirmed or held by any culture or any human voice. Scripture is God-breathed. And yet notice, what is it that, that Scripture breathes to us? What is its central theme? In verse 15, it is Jesus Christ. What does God breathe to us, to every human culture in every age? It gives us access to the person of Jesus. And this was Tyndale's vision, that no one would get in the way of any person in any part of the English-speaking world between them and God. Once, when he was having a fight with some people, he said in a loud voice standing in front of them, I will cause a boy who driveth the plow shall know more of the Scripture than thou dost. That every person, no matter how small or insignificant or rich and powerful, that every person might have direct access to the voice of the living God and salvation in Jesus Christ. Can there be a greater gift than that? That God has given us. That Tyndale has opened to us. 
So how do you open it? And this is why I love what Paul does next in verse 16. Not only is Scripture, God breathes this great abstract big statement, but it's useful. Did you catch that in verse 16? I don't know what word you used next. It is really hard to understand. It's really hard to apply in practice. It doesn't seem to fit in modern life. It's useful. The voice of God, you know, it can speak into everything to the point where Paul says that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work in verse 17. You know, the voice of God in Scripture knows how to deal with crippling despair and constant illness. The voice of God in Scripture speaks about economic management of the largest kingdom and the smallest business. It speaks over the most complex of relationships and how they ought to function, of how to raise kids, of how to do science, how to live with those you disagree with, how to know who God is and what he actually wants from us. You see, the secret to opening the gift is realizing that there is nothing in your life that the voice of God can't speak into. All Scripture is God-breathed from another place, and therefore it is useful in all of life. Our problem is that we settle too quickly for our own opinion, and too quickly for those around us, that we crowd out the voice of God. Paul summons Timothy at the beginning of chapter 4 to preach God's word in verse 2, to be prepared in season and out of season, to take God's word with patience and carefulness and to be constantly laying it before God's people because it is useful in, every, in any and every way. And this is a word I think particularly to the preachers in the room, and there are lots of preachers in the room, chaplains, people in university, ministry, people working in lots of different situations. And Paul summons to you and says, preach the word. Let the people hear the voice of the living God. Life is complicated, but the word of God is its match. The word of God can equip anyone for anything in any task, in any circumstance, to bring glory to God and live righteously and with godliness. You see, all of us have a choice. When problems face us in life, where will you seek advice from? Seek it from the voice of God. When you meet up with someone else to sort through a problem, get them to give you some thoughts, but then say, do you know what? Can we seek out the voice of God together? Can we discern what is best through his useful word? Can we let his word teach and train and correct and rebuke us? Rather than us interrogating God's word, how about we let it interrogate us? How about we let it form us? You know, Tyndale said in his great little book, The Obedience of a Christian Man, that God works with his word and in his word. 
and goes on to say how when the Word of God is believed, it attaches us to God and it alters and changes and forges and fashions us, conforming us to His standard rather than our own. Friends, to open the gift, let it interrogate you. Let it mold you rather than taking it up simply to analyze and interrogate it. It is through that relationship that we start to feel the usefulness of the God-breathed Word. So with such a dynamic privilege, how come it's a gift we so often return? What is it in our world and in us that stops us from hearing it? You know, this summons to Timothy by Paul to preach the word, to trust the God-breathed scriptures is encased in either side with the realities of the world. And in verse 10 and 11 and 12, he makes clear that if you want to listen to the voice of God, it'll cost you. It cost Paul in Lystra and Antioch. And even he says in verse 12, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The reality that he names in chapter 4 in verse 3 is that the reality of human life is that we much prefer to gather around us teachers who tell us what we already believe rather than what's true, rather than what God says. What our itching ears want, and we turn aside to myths. We talk a lot these days about the Facebook echo chamber, about how Facebook gives us back what we've already clicked on. Uh, But research actually says that we constantly make our own echo chambers, that we gather around ourselves the people who reinforce our own view, who keep us comfortable and rationalized and safe, even in our own errors. And what we need is a voice from outside to speak into that. Because naturally, we will gather around ourselves something else. No wonder our world will force us to suffer for holding on to a word that never tells us what we want to hear, but tells us what God knows we have to hear. Tyndale, as Megan mentioned, faced this himself. When he wanted to translate the Bible, he went straight to the Bishop of London and said, I've got this idea. It's going to be great. I'm going to translate the Bible. The Bishop of London said, don't you dare. And then sent a word out to every printing press in England saying, you, take, you touch this book and it's on your head. And so Tyndale fled and, and printed from and translated from afar, and he was savvy most of his life. But do you know how they got him in the end? This guy named Henry Phillips, they convinced. And Henry Phillips became Tyndale's friend. Found him, had dinner with him. Tyndale invited him in. They became very close. Tyndale shared everything with him. Phillips knew his every move so that he could get arrested. 
And then Phillips made sure that on every chance when Tyndale could get released, that he got kept in prison until they strangled him and burned him alive. Tyndale knew that to stand for the voice of God in the world was to suffer. But the remarkable thing was, after Tyndale died, his work continued. In 1536, a new edition appeared of his work long after he had died. And what became clear is that actually this wasn't just William Tyndale in the end. And in fact, the great mythology of the Reformation is that it's just a Martin Luther or it's just a Tyndale or just a Calvin. You know, these great guys who decided to stand on the word of God come hell or high water and they changed the world. And it's just not true, actually. Do you know what stood behind Tyndale? A band of fierce men and women. Here's what David Teams says. He says about a man, Henry Monmouth who was a friend of Tyndale, was a member of a secret society called the Christian Brethren, an association of wealthy cloth merchants. They were also in the business of financing, smuggling, and peddling forbidden books and pamphlets. Sounds like the mafia. The Brethren financed Tyndale's work in the beginning and saw to it that his material was well dispersed. They had to move with caution, certainly, but because of their selective wealth and influence, they were a caste that even the most powerful authorities dare not suppress. You see, the reason why you have the Bible in English is because a fierce band of people pulled the lever of their wealth and influence and bandied behind to ensure the voice of God was heard in the world. A movement like the Reformation requires all of the people of God to stand as Tyndale did, willing to pull their levers of influence and power in a secular world so that the voice of God is heard. You see, friends, today, if you want the reformation in our age, if you want the voice of God to be heard in the world, it will take your lever to do it. It will take your willingness to suffer that the voice of God might be heard. That the gift might be opened by many. And without that, it, it, won't take, it can't take another Luther. It can't take another Tyndale. It takes a generation of people with that vision to see it happen. And so my call to you this morning is simple. If you think the Bible is the God-breathed word that leads to Jesus, the Son of the living God, then what lever and what cost will you pay to do it? As we conclude, I want to own the fact that that charge requires a lot of courage from you. And you know what? The same was true of Timothy. He's been called to effectively lay down his life for the gospel. And Paul, in the midst of that, knowing that he needs courage, gives him four, verse one. He says, in the presence of God 
and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead in the view of His appearing and His kingdom. I give you this charge. You see, there's no way that you're going to head out of here with courage to suffer for the voice of God without this verse ringing in your ears. Because the only thing that makes sense to stand and listen to God's voice in a world like ours is the fact that Jesus Christ, the one who is the fulfilled word of God, is already coming. That all of Scripture has already been fulfilled in Him and He has been handed all authority and He will judge all living and all dead and His kingdom will come. We don't walk out trying to win the war for the Word. The Word has already won the war. And we find courage only when we realize that Jesus Christ, who was the Word of God, who was the gift from the Father, was returned to His sender on the cross for all the times we chose our own voice over God's. And through His return and rejection, the gift of the kingdom is opened to us. And only when you know that, only when you trust that the Word has already won for you and for all eternity, will you have the courage to listen to the voice of God, no matter what. Let's pray. God, our Father, we we stand today on the shoulder of giants, knowing that all the things we have been given often have come from those who've been willing to suffer to give them to us. And Father, we want to ask that by your Spirit this morning, you would unlock the blockages in our hearts, the things that are stopping us from hearing the, the living voice of you, our Father, in your word. And that, Father, we would take up your word in the circumstances of pain and joy, in the power and the work and all the things you have before us. And that with the useful God-breathed word in our hand, we would be equipped for every good work and that we would use what we have to advance the voice, your voice, in this world until our blessed Lord Jesus comes again. We pray this Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.